is not an endorsement of Islam, mm -hmm. and it's not an endorsement of Christianity. Sure. Rather, he's saying God in his mysterious ways yeah. are using these as tools mm -hmm. to prepare mm -hmm. for the revelation that's coming. What, yeah. what Rambam sees with his eyes is blowing his mind. Yeah. That the whole world has been transformed by Yeshua. <laughs> Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you enjoy the teachings from Beth Emanuel, share the links with your friends. And tell your friends about the things you are learning at Beth Emanuel. Help us grow the message. Okay, here's the question for you, Ami. What does a Messianic Jew do with Rambam? I mean, what are you supposed to do with Maimonides? I get it. Everything's fine. It's mostly halachic. It's, it's all this, uh, how do you keep the Torah? Mishnah Torah. He's got, how do you keep the Torah? But, but then he gets into this section called the Laws of Kings, mm -hmm. which is about the Messiah. He's, he's describing the Messiah. It's, it's basically, it's, it's a legal treatise about what qualifies as Messiah. And he disqualifies Yeshua. So how can there even be, according to Maimonides, such a thing as a Messianic Jew? And if you are a Messianic Jew, what do you do with Maimonides? Yeah, I mean, we've got this old statement that says, uh, from Moses to Moses, there was none like Moses. And that's referring to Maimonides, uh, referring to the Rambam. Recently, there was a group of us who were learning uh, Rambam's laws of Avodah Zarah with a Hasidic rabbi who's not a follower of Yeshua, so it was even better to learn it in that context. But one of the things that he said is that with Rambam, you have to hold on to every letter and every word of Rambam. Every letter and every word is important, and so it's really important to actually look at the text and see what it is that he says and what he doesn't say. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of that today. We're going to look at the text and see what he says and what he doesn't say. Sounds Let's great. get a little, can you give us a little introduction to Rambam though? Like who is this guy, Maimonides, Rambam? These are, this is like, uh, you know, I mean, I remember when I first heard of Rambam, I was thinking Rambam, is that like Rambo? Is that like, what's going on here? Uh, Rambam is uh, Rabbi Moshe Ben... Maimon. Ben Maimon. And he was born in Spain. Um moved to Fez, I believe, in Morocco, and then uh, relocated into Egypt, lived under very difficult Islamic caliphates his entire life, and was really a savior to the Jewish people who he kept together during those difficult times and uh, living in the exile of North Africa. And one of the things that's interesting about him is that his his first language is uh is wait he's going to be speaking spanish or something like it he's going to be speaking arabic uh and hebrew um he was a massive scholar but yeah for for rambam the world was an arabic world right um, by and large an arabic and a hebrew world that was what he was living in right and he actually was a medical doctor as well he was a doctor he i believe his brother uh played a big role in his life supporting him and then when his brother passed away he had to take a job and he took a job as a doctor and so just to kind of anchor him in time we're talking about 1200s the 1200s mm -hmm. okay all right so this is it this is uh he's he's the guy who comes and codifies jewish law he's uh 
he's he takes it he takes it and says okay we've got stuff all over the place we've got stuff in the talmud we've got stuff in the mishnah we've got uh, uh, all sorts of halakhic rulings and decisions we need to pull it together into a pile and maybe more importantly than that specifically with the issue of mashiach he is the only one um until this time who attempts to deal with mashiach on a halakhic level he tries to nail down the the halakhas the the legal points of what mashiach should what messiah should be okay all right, so that's exactly, that's a great setup for the text that we're going to be looking at here, that we're going to be getting into. Perfect. Where's this text coming from? Okay, so this is coming from Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah. The Rambam's uh, recitation of the Torah, the recitation of the laws of the Torah, from the section called Hilchot Malachim. So laws of kings. The laws of kings. So these are the laws about like who qualifies to be a king of Israel and such. Okay. And... Naturally, if that's what you're talking about, you're talk you're going to talk about Mashiach because Mashiach is a king of Israel. All right, so where do you want me to start reading? Laws of Kings eleven four. Okay, eleven four. Now this is eleven four is uh, the the section that was for a long time was edited out. Who edited it out? But it was edited out because it actually spoke specifically about Yeshua of Nazareth spoke specifically about Christianity, not in flattering terms at some points. It was uh, edited perhaps by the publishers or to, to be less controversial. At any given point where, where um, manuscripts were being you know handed out and or where books were being printed, that's not quite happening yet at this time. But there's going to be um, checkers who look over this stuff to see if it's because we're not publishing these documents in a democracy we're, we're publishing these documents uh in someone's kingdom sure. and, and the king or the queen they've got the right to say what gets written and how it gets written and so if there were uh some overtly offensive aspects to someone's writing they might put in a code word instead of saying something explicit um they might do that themselves because they don't want their book to be burned. They just spent all this time writing the book. Uh, they don't want to see it in a pile being burned. So maybe they would uh, they would uh, pull it back a little bit and change the change what they were going to say themselves. Or maybe the next copier who is copying down and say Rambam writes out a manuscript and then um, now Reuven is copying that manuscript and and making a copy of his own. He doesn't want his book to be confiscated and and burned so maybe he's going to change the text that would happen a lot but here we see explicitly jesus being referenced and not only is jesus being referenced you know i i was once approached by somebody who had uh, took issue with me referring to yeshua this is in a jewish context took issue with me referring to yeshua as yeshua and they said, how could you call him that? How can you refer to him? How can you call him Yeshua and uh, even give him this dignity of calling him Yeshua? But what they don't realize is that Rambam himself called him Yeshua HaNotsri or Yeshua the Nazarene. And what's so important about this is Rambam is, is famous for codifying into law that it's forbidden to recite the names of idolatry on your lips. And so sure. we know that when Rambam is writing about Yeshua HaNotsri, he isn't dealing with him as an idol of the nations. He's dealing with him as a historical Jew who lived. And actually, as 
historical Jew who lived and was used by God to transform the nations. And that's maybe one of the most surprising aspects of what Rambam does say. That's fascinating. And yeah, just the fact that when he speaks about Yeshua, that he calls him Yeshua and he, people might not realize that that's not normal, that it's not normal to use Yeshua's name in the Jewish community as Yeshua. Right. But what do you say? So often people are going to be saying Yeshu. Um, it's a demi- or Yeshka. Or, or yeah, Yeshka or something, Johnny or Joshi, <laughs> I guess, I guess we're, we're calling him Joshi. Uh, you know, we're, we're making some kind of, there's some kind of dim, diminutive name that's right. given to Yeshua right. because, because... Or even a, depre, even a deprecation yeah, absolutely. With, with Yeshu is, yeah. a, is sort of, a, is, is allegedly supposed to be a deprecating way of... And a, today it certainly is, Yeah, whether it was historically or not. Right. Okay, so we're, we're already thrilled that he's even just using his name and mm-hmm. talking about him. But mm-hmm. like we're saying, this section that we're going to read was originally in... Hilchot Malachim. This was originally within Mishnah Torah that Rambam wrote. Then it was edited out. It mm-hmm. was not in editions of Mishnah Torah for a long time. And now it's being restored. And now, you know what? There's another reason why you might leave it out. What's that? Because of the fact that he called him Yeshua HaNotzri, because he gave him so much respect in oh, that comment. Okay. And maybe you don't want your kids seeing this in your book. Uh, and there, there's, there's, other reasons why this could have been left out of so many copies of Mishneh Torah. And if we contrast this, we're going to see in this passage that um, Rambam references Muhammad, the Islamic prophet, and but yet he refrains from saying Muhammad's name. No one ever uh, accused Muhammad of being an idol in that sense, and yet... Um, with Muhammad, he's not going to give him that respect. He's not going to even say his name. Huh. You're right. Okay, let's get into the text let's here. Let's get into it. If a king will arise from the house of David, who delves deeply into the study of the Torah and, like David his forefather, observes its commandments as prescribed by the written Torah and the oral Torah, and... If he will prevail upon Israel to walk in the way of Torah and repair its breaches, and if he fights the wars of the Lord, we may confidently consider him the Messiah. If he succeeds in all of this, builds the temple, and gathers in the dispersed remnant of Israel, he is definitely the Messiah. He will then repair the entire world to serve the Lord in unity, as it says in Zephaniah 3.9, for then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. So, okay, that's, that's the introduction. That's the criteria for what it takes to actually fulfill the messianic mission and to, to be the Messiah. So anything... The fact that we believe that Yeshua is the Messiah before he's accomplished all of that, that's why we're called believers, because <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't delivered on all those goods yet, but we're believing that he will on the basis of the resurrection, his resurrection from the dead. Now we get into the uh, controversial stuff. Okay. If he did not succeed in all of this, or if he was killed in the attempt, he certainly is not the one promised by the Torah. Okay, now, I'm sorry that I'm jumping in here. No, 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 I think it's good. Let's do it that way. Okay, 
so when we when we open this up, um, I mentioned that when we're learning Rambam, we have to focus on every letter, um, which I guess we can say that's why that uh, that ayin on the end of Yeshua is important. It it shows a certain amount of respect is transformed. He could have said Yeshua, and yet he said Yeshua. He said Yeshua Hanotzri. So every letter is important, and now also every word is important. Now he didn't say that if. Mashiach dies, or if this person who's uh, attempting this messianic role, if they die, then they can't be Mashiach. He says that they're not the one promised by the Torah. So what does that mean? Is there another one not promised by the Torah? How many Mashiachs do we have? All right, that's, yeah, okay, so he says, it's certainly not the one promised by the Torah. So earlier, if you know, because we didn't start at the beginning of the section, but if, if if we go back and say, what does he mean by promised by the Torah? Where does the Torah promise Mashiach? He he takes it from Deuteronomy thirty. Okay. Uh, so you've got uh, this passage in Deuteronomy thirty, verses three through five. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. So it's it's the Redeemer, the, the, the one who redeems the nation. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on and he cites another passage from uh, Balaam's prophecies in Numbers 24, uh, where it says, I see him. But not now, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter from the from the house of it shall rise from Israel. He will crush the heads of Moab and so forth. And Maimonides says this this is about David and his son, King Messiah, so Messiah, the son of David. So he, he breaks it down like this. I see him, but not now. This refers to David. I behold him, but not near. This refers to King Messiah. A star shall come forth from Jacob. This refers to David. A scepter shall rise from Israel. This refers to King Messiah. He'll crush the forehead of Moab, refers to David, as 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 David did. And tear down the sons of Seth, refers to King Messiah. As it says, he'll rule from sea to sea. Edom shall be a possession, refers to David. And uh, Ser and its enemies will be a possession. This refers to King Messiah, as it is said, deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau. So we can define what Rambam means by he certainly is not the one promised by the Torah, meaning the one who's going to bring the final redemption and is the son of David. Yeah. And so when we're looking at this passage from Rambam, we know that he's talking about Mashiach ben David, who's going to bring this redemption, and I think that is key here. And this and this comment that he makes is that if he's killed, we know he's not the one promised by the Torah. It reminds me of something that John the Baptist said. We're going to come back to that. I want to finish this section, but you can just just get your wheels uh, turning. Okay, okay. I th- uh, I, I'm confident i know where you're going <laughs> so let's finish this passage and then we can consider maybe if there's options for is more the, is messiahs. there another <laughs> is, it, is there another messiah okay just going back to the top of that if he did not succeed in all of this and that all of this being you know bringing building his, the betamikdash right, repentance for israel building the the temple exiles uh gathering the exiles together and and so forth if he didn't succeed in all of this or if he was killed in the attempt mm. He certainly is not the one promised by the Torah. 
Rather, he should be considered to be similar to all the other proper and legitimate kings in the house of David who died. The Holy One, blessed be he, caused him to arise only in order to test the multitude, as it says in Daniel 11.35, some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. So all these other kings who failed, like Solomon. Yeah. Okay, Solomon's a great example. Solomon... Son of David. He's called the son of David. He's called the son of God. Uh, we know from scripture that he married all these women, but what's what's kind of lost on us is that his intention in marrying himself to all the uh, the daughters of these other nations, the daughters of these other kings, is this was his attempt to bring the world together in peace, which is yeah, those what's were impl- diplomatic marriages, and it's implied by his name. It, it was written into who the guy was. He's Shlomo. He's the guy who's going to bring peace to the whole world. He's the son of God. He's the Mashiach. He's he's going to do all these great things. So he takes the nations as his bride, if I can use that oh. language, and and he really he tries to raise them up uh, to the holy holiness of Israel. But ultimately, they're too heavy for him, and he can't he can't uh, can't bear that, and they pull him down rather than rather than him lifting them up. Um, so all of these kings from David, all of those kings who have died previously trying to fulfill these messianic passages. Hezekiah has another example. That's a great example. Hezekiah is, uh, is fighting the wars of the Lord. Mm-hmm. He's fighting Assyria. Jerusalem is surrounded. It's like the last standing city. The Lord does this great salvation for Hezekiah. Mm-hmm. He's the one that Isaiah spoke about, uh, that, that Isaiah is promising, and, and the government will be on his shoulders and so forth. So now any of these kings who have the potential to be Mashiach, but they die trying, they uh, fulfill this verse. Okay. So rather, he should be considered to be similar to all the other proper and legitimate kings of the house of David who died. Regarding Yeshua the Nazarene. It's funny that uh, that's where his mind's at all of a sudden. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Just out of, oh, oh, by the way. By the way. Regarding Yeshua the Nazarene. An evil rumor that he is the Messiah persists, but he was put to death by the court. It was already prophesied about him in Daniel 11:14, where it says, the violent ones among your people, or another translation. Robbers. Yeah, the robbers among your people uh, will, will also lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they will stumble or they will fall down. They will stumble. Can there be a greater stumbling block than this? All the prophets said the Messiah will be the redeemer of Israel and their savior. He is to gather the dispersed of Israel and strengthen their observance of the commandments. But this has caused Israel to be slain by the sword, their remnant to be scattered and abased, the Torah to be altered, and the majority of the world to serve a God other than the Lord. Nevertheless, the thoughts of the creator of the universe are beyond the power of man to comprehend. For his ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts like our thoughts. Ultimately, all the deeds of Yeshua the Nazarene and of that Ishmaelite who rose after him will serve to prepare the way 
for yeah. the coming of the Messiah. Where do we find that language? Will serve to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Well, it's got to be coming from the prophets. Yeah. So, yeah, we get that from Malachi and uh, from Isaiah as well, from I, Isaiah 40. And the Lord, the Lord sends his messenger to prepare the way. So he will serve to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah and to repair the world, preparing the peoples to serve the Lord in unity, as it says in Zephaniah, for then I will give to the peoples purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. How will this come about? Discussions about the Messiah, discussions about the Torah, and discussions about the commandments have already filled the whole world. So it's already happening, he's saying. By Yeshua. Yeah. These discussions have spread to the furthest islands. Many peoples, uncircumcised of heart, discuss and argue these matters, and they discuss the commandments of the Torah. Some of them are saying, these commandments were once true, but in this age they have already been abolished. They do not apply to every generation. I think this is Rambam's example of Islam. So some are saying that these uh, are for a particular time and that with each additional prophet, uh, the, the laws might change. And then he gives a second example, I believe. Yeah, he does. He does. Others say the commandments should not be taken literally mm-hmm. because they are, there are hidden meanings in them. The Messiah has already come and revealed the hidden meanings. And so once we know what the hidden meaning is, we don't need the actual... Right, right. But both of those arguments are things that you hear in the church to this day. Sure. The, the commandments were once true. They were true in Old Testament times. Mm-hmm. But now in this age, in New Testament times, under the New Covenant, they've been abolished. Mm-hmm. So they don't apply to every generation. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the commandments were meant spiritually, the, but the Jews took them literally. You still hear that kind of language. Mm-hmm. How? In what way does Muhammad... Uh, help prepare the nations of the world for uh, for the coming of Messiah. How well, is, how does Muhammad related to all of this? Well, I think I messianic think, stuff. I think it's 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 necessary to first understand that Islam Islam is a a daughter of Christianity, mm-hmm. and so Islam is carrying the same holy books as Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you have. The Tanakh, the whole Tanakh, they have, I know there's, it's the Islam version of uh, some of the stories and such, but nevertheless, the God of Abraham is being propagated. The stories of the Torah the, is being propagated. The prophets are being propagated through Islam. And also the New Testament and especially the Gospels are being propagated through Islam. And, and Because Islam recognizes, uh, even though they have a different idea about uh, the emphasis and maybe what a Messiah is, Islam does recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah. Yeah, that's right. right. That's that's correct. The other thing that, you know, is coming through Islam is this very strong monotheism. This mm-hmm. you know, so this anti-idolatry message, very mm-hmm. strong monotheism. So this is Rambam's looking at that, mm-hmm. the historical record of that and he's saying, "Okay, I can see how Hashem could be using this to prepare the Gentile nations mm-hmm. for the coming kingdom." Mm-hmm. I, I think that's all he's saying. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's kind of like that verse where Paul says, like, look, I'm glad that the gospel is being preached. Yeah. And I don't think Paul would be, would be you know, so happy with... Uh, no, he wouldn't be glad that, that <laughs> Islam was being preached. <laughs> but, but the gospel that was preached uh, within, within that container of Islam, in that package, 
he still would be happy that that was being spoken of. And so would Rambam. So then what we're hearing from Rambam is not an endorsement of Islam, Mm -hmm. and it's not an endorsement of Christianity. Sure. Rather, he's saying God in his mysterious ways are using these as tools Mm -hmm. to prepare Mm -hmm. for the revelation that's coming. What, What Rambam sees with his eyes is blowing his mind. Yeah. That the whole world has been transformed by Yeshua. Yeah, that even in the, the the remotest nations of the earth, they're talking Torah and commandments. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if they're like making up this weird stuff about, oh, they were just symbolic or they were only meant for a time. Nevertheless, they're still talking about the Torah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Now, when I look at this same passage on uh, Chabad.org, I can, I can go and I can bring up um, the Hebrew and the English text. And what I noticed is that in the English text that you read, it never mentioned Christianity. Right. Um, but when I go to Chabad.org, it says that, um, has there been any greater stumbling block than Christianity? And it, and it spells that out. And But I'm not so sure when I look at the different ways to translate the text and I look at the Hebrew, I'm not so sure that Rambam was specifically talking about Christianity. What he was talking about, it seems to me, is this entire um, uh, controversy regarding Yeshua, but more than that, this issue that he concludes the chap- the, the paragraph with, this issue of the Torah, of these mitzvot, that, that what's brought this um, great challenge and obstacle before the people of Israel and what has caused um, idolatry and, and ultimately caused all this suffering for the Jewish people is this antinomian teaching. This idea that the Torah has been done away with at the death of Yeshua. Right. Whether it was because the commandments were once true, but now they've been abolished. Mm -hmm. Because he uses that abolished language. Or or whether it's that they they were revealed to have been meant symbolically and and figuratively through, through the Messiah. This is the thing. This is the problem that, so, so it's, it's not even, it's not even so much a uh, dismissal of Christianity as it is a correction Mm -hmm. to a major misunderstanding Mm -hmm. within Christianity. So then we can understand why um, Chabad or the specific Chabadnik who translated this text at, on, on Chabad.org. Like very explicit. says, no, we're talking about Christianity here. Well, we can understand why they came, while well, they wanted to use that, that term, because if you look at Christianity, it's antinomian. Right. Right? Right. And, and, but for us, we want to make a distinction because we're saying, hey, there's still time and there's still hope. Christians who are listening and uh, especially Jewish Christians who are listening we don't find the foundation for that antinomian business in the New Testament. We don't find it in the words of Paul. We don't find it in the words of Yeshua, certainly not if you know how to read them correctly. Paul explicitly states that he's referring to Gentiles not having an obligation to take upon themselves Jewish legal obligation. Right. So then he concludes saying, when the true king Messiah arises and succeeds... He will be high and lifted up. Then they will all turn and realize that they inherited deception from their fathers and that their prophets and their fathers led them into error. It does not say that Yeshua of Nazareth led them into error. 
It doesn't say that Yeshua of Nazareth led them into error, and it doesn't actually say anything negative about Yeshua per se at all. Right. Only that maybe there were these uh, these robbers, or what's the other term that's used? Uh, in in this version, it it's a violent ones. These violent ones who are trying to uh, force him to step into that. Uh, kingly role, maybe in my mind, this this passage is easily far more easily fulfilled with understanding this verse to be related to someone like Judas, who is attempting to force Yeshua to to fight against Rome rather than Yeshua himself. Nobody ever accused Yeshua of being violent. I my mind is and this might not be what Rambam's referring to, but now my mind is going to that sort of dominion theology that came through the Roman Empire when the Romans empire uh, became Christian and then mm-hmm. said, well, we are the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and and yeah. uh, Well, in any case, I want to go back to something that you, you brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, when I first started reading this passage and you said, he certainly is not the one promised by the Torah. And you brought up this, this passage about John the Baptist, John the Immerser. Yeah, because here we have this person, John the Baptist. He's pro- he's a he's a cousin of Yeshua. He is the first one to uh, testify of Yeshua's kingship, even while still in his mother's womb, by leaping and dancing as as they came close to each other. And then he uh, recognizes Yeshua as the Lamb of God, uh, who takes away the sins of the earth. He hears a voice from heaven saying that uh, Yeshua is his son. He, he sees a visual representation of, a, of Ruch HaKodesh, of, of a dove coming and descending down upon, um, very quickly upon, upon Yeshua while he's in the water. And so if anyone knows, his entire job of his life was to, to reveal the Mashiach, to immerse the sons of Israel until he saw that visual confirmation that uh, of a dove descending down, of the Holy Spirit descending down like a dove upon uh, this Israelite, he was going to know that that one was the Messiah. That was what his whole life was about. And then when we see him in prison, he sends his guys to go ask Yeshua a question. And the question he asks him is, are you the Messiah? Are you, no, not are you the Messiah. Are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we look for another? Yeah, so here I've got it in Dalich Hebrew English okay. version. It just happens to be the one that I've, I've got open here. But it says, Yochanan called for two of his disciples and sent them to Yeshua saying, Are you the one who comes, or the one who is to come? Are you the one who is yeah. to come? Or should we wait for another, another one? Now, what's interesting here is usually the way this is read is, are you the Messiah or are you not? But he doesn't but, ask that. Yeah, right. And and based on what uh, what you were just saying, it's just a preposterous way to read it. When you think about it, it's sure. like it's like, what if if John got this wrong? If yeah. he's like, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe he's not the <laughs> Messiah. Well, maybe you were wrong about everything, John. Sure. <laughs> you know, maybe right. it's like, are are you are you the prophet or not? You know, sure. are you a prophet? The way that he says it, he doesn't say. Are you the Messiah or not? Which would mm-hmm. be a simple way to mm-hmm. you know, just are you the Messiah or not? But instead, he says, "Are you the one, or is there another?" This is one of our earliest references to the idea of the Mashiach ben David and the Mashiach ben Yosef idea. Okay, you know, which is uh, an idea that gets 
explained in the Talmud. It's explained in, in Midrashic literature. We find it in a lot of Midrashic literature as well. But nevertheless, it's not a halakhic category. Right. In any of the halakhic literature, you don't see halakha regarding what Mashiach ben Yosef has to be. And the reason being is people weren't so sure if there even was going to be a Mashiach ben Yosef. Is that correct? Right. Okay, so let's back up. Uh, this is how he answers the question to, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? Mm-hmm. He says, well... <laughs> Go tell him what you have seen and heard. Uh, so he's, you know, he's doing miracles and such. He says, "Go tell him the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the lepers are becoming pure, the deaf are hearing, the dead are rising, the poor are receiving the good news." And, and then he says, "Blessed is the man who does not stumble over me hmm. or, or stumble because of me." And it seems like he's he's alluding to two important passages from Isaiah. Okay. So the first one is Isaiah thirty-five three through seven where it says, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. And this is the day of the Lord. Recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness, streams in the Aravah. The scorched land will become a pool, thirsty ground, springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. And and then we, we have another passage that he seems to also loop in from Isaiah 61. And this is his programmatic text that he read in the Nazareth synagogue at the outset. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. That's Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. So it seems to me like he's, it's kind of a cryptic answer. It's not a yes or a no. Mm -hmm. Instead, he just points to these messianic texts and he says, hey, I'm working at it. <laughs> <laughs> now, he, he's, he's asked a yes or no question. Yeah. Are you he, the one to come or should we expect another? But he can't give a yes or no answer. And in hindsight, we're going to say that's because he is Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David fulfilled through one individual. Right. Okay. But that good point that that's hindsight. That's in hindsight. hindsight. Mm-hmm. At this time in his ministry, what's he trying to do? He's still preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's trying mm. to avert the death. So disaster. he's still hopeful. He's still hopeful that he should be able to uh, prevent the, uh, the, the, the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the coming exile, that instead he should be able to usher the nation into the kingdom. Okay, so before we go any further, I think we have to get an, uh, an introduction to Mashiach ben Yosef, but I want to do that from a text that Rambam would have been familiar with. That way we know that we're working with uh, a picture of Mashiach ben Yosef that would have been available to Rambam. Okay, all right. So it's interesting that Mashiach ben Yosef, this idea of the suffering Messiah, mm-hmm. Rambam didn't mention him at all. No. I mean, we didn't even, we read that whole text and and he says, hey, Messiah can't be killed. If he's Messiah, he can't be killed. Mm-hmm. But what do we If know? he's the one promised. If he's the one promised, uh-huh. exactly. But, but if he is killed in the attempt, then he should be, 
he could be Mashiach ben Yosef. He didn't say that, though. He but, didn't say that he could be Mashiach ben Yosef, but let's look and see what Mashiach okay, ben Yosef so is. So what are we talking we can, about? Uh, so I want to look at uh, a text from Sadia Gaon. It, I believe the... Uh, I've got it here. I've got it here? Yep. Yale Judaica series, volume one, Sadia Gaon, the book of beliefs and opinions. Beliefs and opinions. So what's important is that Sadia Gaon... He's kind of the Rambam of his day. And his day is, he's born at the end of the 800s, 892 or 896. You can check that out. There's a Wikipedia page. You can learn all about him. And he, he's his big contribution is that he was in Egypt, born in Egypt, went to the land of Israel, uh, to Tiberias in, in his 20s, and then went uh, into what's referred to as... Um, uh, the Babylonian exile in in Surah. And he translates scripture for the first time into Arabic because we have a lot of Jewish people who aren't reading Hebrew as they're, uh, it's not the language that they're speaking on the street, they're speaking Arabic. And so he um, writes commentaries that can be read by the average guy on the street uh, in a particular format that Rambam actually uses to influence the way he orders his books. He has, you know, uh, these things broken up into sections and they're all numbered and laid out um, in a way that would be recognizable um, to somebody today uh, as being a clear teaching. Uh-huh. So topically, categorically. Exactly. Yeah. So so you're saying that Rambam would have used Saja, he, he like got the idea f- for that kind of a layout from... F- from this? Not only did he get the idea, it, from his words were that if Sadia Gaon hadn't lived, Judaism might have been lost at that time. And so um, if from Moses to Moses there was none like Moses, if there was one like Moses, it might have been Sadia Gaon. Uh, okay. uh, and so he was very influential during his day. He was seen as somebody who saved the Jewish people from the heresy of the Karaites and also from conversion to Islam. Um, and so Maimonides is writing in Arabic, right? Maimonides is also writing in Arabic. He's writing in Arabic. And, and so here he's got the major scholar that he considers to be the, the preeminent scholar that has saved Judaism mm-hmm. ahead of him is Sajiga On, who's, who was writing in Arabic. Let's just start at chapter five. Okay. It's juicy stuff. Okay. We'll see how it goes. We'll just I'll, I'll read for a little bit and you interrupt whenever you want. Anyone who's still listening to us by this point is going to be into this. Okay, okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> true stuff. Okay. All right. So I'll read, you interrupt. Okay. All right. Sounds like a deal. Uh, the Book of Beliefs and Customs, uh, the Book of Redemption, Chapter 5. Having then explained these ends and made them clear, I now say that we already know that should our repentance not be complete, completed previously, we would linger in exile unto the fulfillment of the end. If, on the other hand, the end be fulfilled without our having repented, it is inconceivable that the redemption come about while we are still steeped in the sins for the sake of which God had exiled us. So what's he saying here? He's saying, if we don't repent... Mm -hmm then we know that there's a time appointed for the end at which God is going to redeem us anyway. Right? Yeah. But that doesn't really make sense if we haven't repented before that time 
because then we'll still be we're still as sinful as the day we went into exile. Right. In fact, you know, isn't it said that uh, every generation that doesn't see the end of the exile, that doesn't see the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash, it's as if they were part of that original exile generation, that we're just as wicked as they were, um, which is why we're experiencing this exile. So if the exile doesn't transform us, what was the point of it? Yeah, and that's that's exactly what he's going to say. So he says, hence, if after having or having lingered in exile for a long time without returning to God, God would bring us back to our land, even though we should not have improved, might one not ask whether our exile has not been in vain? Hmm. However, it has been transmitted by the traditions of the prophets that God would cause misfortunes and disasters to befall us that would compel us to resolve upon repentance so that we would be deserving of redemption. Okay. Misfortunes and disasters are going to be the birth pangs of Messiah at the, at the end of days. That makes sense. That is the sense of the remark of our forebears. If the Israelites will repent, they will be redeemed. If not, the Holy One, blessed be he, will raise up a king whose decrees will be even more severe than those of Haman, whereupon they will repent and thus be redeemed. That's Tractate Sanhedrin 97b that he's quoting from the Talmud. So this is like an Antichrist figure who wants to destroy the Jewish people. Exactly. In fact, this is the source. This is the, the source in Jewish uh, ideas, in Jewish eschatology of uh, the concept of in Antichrist, which comes, you know, comes through in the apocalyptic texts like the book of Revelation. Our forebears also tell us that the cause of this visitation will be the appearance in Upper Galilee of a man from among the descendants of Joseph, around whom there will gather individuals from the Jewish nation. Okay, so this man from the descendants of Joseph, now we're okay. talking about... Mashiach ben Yosef. Yes, the Messiah, son of Joseph, the... And it says, this man will go to Jerusalem after its seizure by the Romans. Okay. So picture so, this. I just picture this. Suppose that there's Jerusalem is under the control of the Romans. And there's this <laughs> Mashiach from the Galilee who gathers some people around him and goes up to Jerusalem while it's under the control now, of the Romans. What's important about this is Rome has to exist. I don't think the Romans are doing much today. So... <laughs> So either there's there there's no Mashiach ben Yosef, or he had to have come before Rome yeah. was decimated. Yeah. So it says, this man will go to Jerusalem after mm -hmm. its seizure by the Romans and stay in it for a certain length of time. Then they will be surprised by a man named Armulus. Don't name your kid Armulus. <laughs> Armulus. This okay. is the this is like the uh, the midrash uses this name to refer to this world deceiver, false messiah, antichrist, king worse than Haman. And, uh, and it seems like there might be some connection with the name Romulus. Yeah, that's that's the Who was that? academic theory is that it's it's a cipher for the name Romulus, which is Romulus and Remus were the two brothers okay. who started Rome. So so Rom then in that case, Romulus this, is Rome. Rome is Romulus. This might have this. This is some some code word for Rome or for the Roman Emperor. This, this guy represents sort, the yeah, head of yeah, the head of Rome. Okay. Yeah, okay. So they will be surprised by a man named Armulus, who will wage war against them and conquer the city and subject its inhabitants to massacre, captivity, and disgrace. Included among those that will be slain will be that man, from among the descendants 
of Joseph, the Mashiach mm. and Joseph. Saja isn't just making this stuff up. He's getting this all from old Jewish apocalypses mm-hmm. and from Midrash and from Talmud. He's just kind of assembling it all into a logical order mm-hmm. as he sees it. But th- So this is just part of, this is Jewish eschatology as it's been handed on to him. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is this Mashiach ben Yosef, this this suffering Messiah, son of Joseph, goes to Roman-occupied Jerusalem mm-hmm. and is slain by the hand of Rome. Or what's the guy's name? Armelus. 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 I just pictured a guy with no arms. So anyway. yeah. That'd be Armelus. <laughs> <laughs> He's not as armless as he looks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's very dangerous, actually. <laughs> okay, so... so uh, Carry on. Keep keep reading. Let's find out more. This is just getting good, actually. In here. Okay. Now, now, there will come upon the Jewish nation at that time great misfortunes. The most difficult to endure being the deterioration of their relationship with the governments of the world, who will drive them into the wilderness to let them starve and be miserable. As a result of what has happened to them, many of them will desert their faith, only those purified remaining. To these, Elijah the prophet will manifest himself, and thus the redemption will come. After hearing about these misfortunes, in other words, after reading these apocalypses and this crazy midrash and this, this, these texts about Jewish eschatology, after hearing about these misfortunes, I looked into scripture and I found in it supports for each point in the account. Which he's obviously amazed about. He's startled mm-hmm. that this this stuff isn't just gonzo stuff instead this is all drawn from the scriptures Hmm. the first namely that the romans will take jerusalem at the time of the redemption is borne out by the scriptural statement and saviors shall come upon mount zion to judge the mount of esau obadiah 21 which he sees as a reference to rome yeah that's that's standard jewish interpretation that that all all references to edom and esau uh, after the second temple period are understood as Rome. That again, the war against them will be conducted by one of the descendants of Rachel is supported by the scriptural statement in Jeremiah 49, 20. Therefore hear ye the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Edom and his purposes that he has purposed against the inhabitants of Timon. Surely the youngest of the flock shall drag them away. That's cryptic. Furthermore, that only a few from among the Jewish nation not many will gather about him. That's why we now, can't make a minion. That, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting because you know we have this idea that with a he that Jesus can't be a Mashiach because if he was Mashiach, well then wouldn't all of the Rabbanut be followers of his? And according to Sadia Gaon, if he was Mashiach ben David reigning in Yerushalayim, that might be true. But if he's Mashiach ben Yosef. Not only that might not be true, he says that Mashiach ben Yosef isn't followed by everyone. He's followed by a small collective of Jews who yeah, gather yeah. around him. Only a few from among the Jewish nation. Wow. Not many will gather about him. And this is attested by a statement of the scripture, Jeremiah 3.14, that says, And I will take you, one of a city, and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Mm. Wow. It reminds me of Yeshua's comments about the strife within a family yeah. uh, over, over his identity. 
Yeah. That moreover, the attacker will seize them and take them captive and put them to death is borne out by the statement of Scripture. Now I'm thinking of the martyrdom of the of, of the first generation and the followers of Yeshua. Absolutely. And also of the exile in general. Yeah. And also of uh, the persecution of the Buckles family. <laughs> <laughs> Still here. <laughs> and this was borne out by the statement of Scripture that says in Zechariah 14, Behold, a day of the Lord cometh when thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. It states furthermore, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and houses rifled and the women ravished and half the city shall go forth into captivity, Zechariah 14, 2, which uh, it, 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 you can read that forward, you know, as the apocalypse is due to say, you know, we're speaking about Jerusalem in, in the war of Gog and Magog in the end of days mm-hmm. before the coming of Mashiach. But, but we could also sit here and look back and say, this was fulfilled in the generation of, of Yeshua. It, 40 years after his death and resurrection, the city was taken and the houses rifled and half the population goes into captivity and such. Also that the man at the head of the Jewish nation, this is Mashiach ben Yosef, will be among the slain and that people will weep over him and bewail him. This is attested by the scriptural statement and they shall look unto me because they have thrust him through. Look unto me, the one they have pierced. Mm. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. Zechariah 12.10. Wow. That furthermore, great misfortune will befall the Jewish nation at that time is substantiated by the statement of scripture. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. Daniel 12.1. And we know that Yeshua quotes that very passage when speaking about these times, he, he's in, in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, mm-hmm. that again, enmity will spring up between them and many of the nations with the result that the latter, the nations, will drive them into many wildernesses is supported by the scriptural remark, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead with you face to face, Ezekiel twenty thirty five. So this is speaking of the exile. After the destruction of Jerusalem, the nation went into exile. Okay, now have we answered yet why Rambam is silent on all of this, dealing with Mashiach? I don't know. I've, I've just gotten kind of distracted. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what I do notice from reading this is obviously um, Sadia Gaon, as he's handing over the tradition that he's received, which he is amazed at, and, uh, and he's floored that these things are actually in the text themselves. I don't think that there's any better fit to fulfill these verses, even though clearly Yeshua didn't get into a war with a guy named Armless or or anybody else, and uh, not in the way that we would think of a, a war happening. But but there was a war. Tell me. Well, there there was a war with the with Rome. Uh, yes. There's a war with Rome between the nation and Rome, and Yeshua is. You could say he's like the first casualty. He's the first victim of this war, which ultimately. We win. He wins. Within the next 300 years, uh, Rome is defeated and, true. and becomes subjugated to the Messiah of Israel. And the weapons of Yeshua's warfare uh, weren't the, the swords that Peter was carrying. Right. It was, it was prayer and Torah and the message of repentance and bringing the gospel to the right. ends of the earth. Right. 
Right. So this doesn't, I think the thing is we have to keep in mind is that this doesn't diminish the role of Mashiach ben David that is yet to come to where there's a final redemption that's coming when mm-hmm. the Messiah is going to come and clean house. Mm-hmm. But what's, what we're seeing is this other aspect of Messiah being revealed, the suffering servant Messiah being revealed through the the tradition reported by Saja Gaon that he's now explicating uh, and supporting with these scriptural proof texts. Does he continue on this subject? Uh, I'll skip down. I'm going to skip some of this material just because, you know, for sake of like, this just goes on and on. But uh, I'll have to trust you. So he says, the chief points of these matters are then all of them exposed in the Bible. So basically everything, everything that I just said uh, has scriptural proof in the Bible. He okay. says. While their further ordering and arrangement is carried out in systematic fashion in the works of tradition. So in other words, that we, all of these things are loose pieces in the Bible, loose prophecies in the Bible. And so the tradition just came and put them in a certain order. So how this plays out, Sajigaon isn't certain of how right. this Yeah, he's, plays he's out. just saying, this is all, f- these are all prophecies that need to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And the apocalypse that he re- related to us is mm-hmm. just one is is one way that it, it, it had been strung together. And so far, this isn't something that's Jewish law; it's tradition. Right. Okay. And that's that's important for Sadia and for us learning this information, and for Rambam, who uh, is someone codifying Jewish law, not not just the tradition. Exactly. Okay. All right, so he says, Praise be he who in his graciousness gave us advance notice of these misfortunes, lest they come upon us suddenly and cause us to despair. Hmm. In reference to the occurrence of these misfortunes, Scripture says, From the uttermost parts of the earth have we heard glory to the righteous, Isaiah twenty four sixteen. until the end of that passage. We'd have to go read the rest of Isaiah 24, but he goes on uh, in chapter 6 of uh, the book of Redemption saying, Now let me say, that in either case, I mean, whether we do not repent and the events associated with Mashiach ben Yosef come to pass, okay, or we do repent and are able to dispense with them, skip over the Mashiach ben Yosef stuff, and the Messiah descended from David will manifest himself to us then suddenly. So it's very interesting that you're going to experience Mashiach ben Yosef if you you have this call to repent and you don't repent. So there's a chance that Mashiach ben Yosef will come and call us to repentance. But if we repent before he gets here, he doesn't need to arrive and call us to repentance. Mashiach ben David is going to come. Unexpectedly. Either way. Yes, either way. Yep. Should there be, however, in the second eventuality, a Messiah from Joseph, Mashiach ben Yosef, who would precede Mashiach ben David, he would serve as his herald. Hmm. And as one who puts the nation in proper condition and clears the way, as scripture says, behold, I send my messenger and he shall clear the way before me. So I think what I understand that to mean is that's like, it could still work out that you would have this Messiah, son of Joseph, who calls the nation to repent. They do repent. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't have to go through this suffering and death stuff. Okay. Or he might be compared to one who purges with fire those members of the nation who have committed grave sins. Or to one who washes with lie those of its constituents who have been guilty of slight infractions, as scripture remarks immediately thereafter, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. 
Malachi so, 3, 2. So Sadia Gaon is weighing his options. He's saying, what's, what's the function of Mashiach ben Yosef? He's saying, well, okay, on the one hand, maybe he's coming to prepare the way to make those distant islands, uh, the, these people at the corners of the earth of uncircumcised heart, uh, to bring them to the knowledge of God first, to prepare the way for Mashiach uh, ben David, or he's someone who's going to come and bring an atonement for the people of Israel and pull them away from their sins and cause them to repent. Yes. Yeah. So there's two possibilities. And maybe this is why, you know, uh, are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, um, go tell John what you see happening here. The outcome is still in doubt. Wow. And so for us as as the followers of Yeshua, our job is to complete uh, to the best of our ability, whatever he didn't complete. Yeah. Right? He told us to go to the ends of the earth to bring that knowledge. And obviously it wasn't Yeshua who was walking around the planet uh, letting the people in Fiji know uh, about the coming of the Messiah and about righteousness. But he sent out his his the body yeah. of Messiah in into the earth so we can be his hands and feet and we can bring... Uh, that good news to the ends of the earth. And so now according to Rambam, Yeshua, and by extension, I mean, uh, Islam is kind of like the original Hebrew roots movement. <laughs> um, you know, you, you you have somebody who really uh, cherishes things Jewish and then, uh, and then ends up becoming kind of anti-Semitic and trying to replace and and having this this very low Christology, that's like uh, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. That's, that's your a, traditional. That's yeah, let me tell you how the Jews got it wrong. That's your traditional Hebrew roots movement, um, right there. So the that are that religion already exists. It's been around for a long time. They've got beautiful buildings and and a nice prayer tradition. But for us, we can see that Rambam felt like. Yeshua was the preparation for Mashiach ben David. And here, Sadia Gaon is saying Mashiach ben Yosef is the preparation for Mashiach ben David. And they're quoting very similar verses while they're doing this. And because Rambam knows the writings of Sadia Gaon, this can't be completely lost on him. No, this is, this is absolutely amazing. When you realize that he didn't, that Rambam didn't even mention Mashiach ben Yosef. He's, he's giving all these, all he, he's basically saying, here's the criteria for who, uh, what it is to qualify for Messiah. And Messiah cannot die. He says he can't die. If he dies while attempting to bring about this redemption, well, who's the Messiah who dies while attempting to bring the redemption? That's Mashiach ben Yosef. According to Sadia Gaon, who Rambam models his Writing yeah, after. There's no question. There's no question that he's referring to. And then immediately Rambam shifts gears and starts talking about Yeshua of Nazareth and how the the teaching of Yeshua of Nazareth has got has been misunderstood, but nevertheless, uh, look, the whole world has turned to the God of Israel. This is even surprising to me as we're as we're discussing this, although I'm, you know, fairly familiar with the topic already, how open Rambam leaves what he says. Yeah, I'm just sitting here going, it's really not possible when you when you stand Rambam on top of Sajigaon mm-hmm. and read that text carefully. So when you read the writings of Rambam in yep. context. Yep, exactly. In context of, of what what he's drawing from, mm-hmm. from Sajigaon. 
it's not possible to read that text in Mishneh Torah without coming to the conclusion that his silence on the subject of Mashiach ben Yosef and yet his discussion on the subject of Mashiach ben Yosef without actually saying Mashiach ben Yosef leads to only one possible conclusion. He certainly leaves it open for any Jewish follower of Yeshua to believe such a thing and still read his text and benefit from it deeply as we are right now. This is not the kind of, this is not the anti-missionary material um, that it's often portrayed as. There's, there's nothing of that kind of anti-missionary spirit here. He, one, he's being absolutely fair. Even if he doesn't like Christianity, even if he's not wild about Yeshua Hanotsri, who he refers to um, almost reverently. by he, he, To put this in context, imagine that nobody else has written out this man's name. And Rambam is the first one to do it. Nobody else has explicitly written about Yeshua, but Rambam, without flinching, writes this stuff down in his book. Uh, and these people are also well aware of the writings of Sajid Gaon. He, Sajid Gaon was writing to the everyman, and Rambam is writing to the everyman. They're writing for the same crowd. Somebody who's picking up Rambam already has Sajid Gaon, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, at, at the very least, this is, it's extremely suggestive. It's extremely suggestive. And especially when you, having read all that we just read from Sajid Gaon, mm-hmm. we go back to this text now and listen okay. to this again. This is Maimonides. He says, if he did not succeed in all of this, that is bringing the redemption, or if he was killed in the attempt, he certainly is not the one promised by the Torah. Rather, he should be considered similar to all the other proper legitimate kings of the house of David who died. So, going back, not the one promised being Messiah, son of David, that implies that he is a different Mashiach. A different anointed one. Now let's talk about this real quick because we can't leave it um, out there without clarifying something. What about this son of Yosef stuff? Obviously, Yeshua is the son of Joseph. I mean, that's his name. You know, that's, yeah, what, yeah. His, that's what his T-ball coach called him. Yeah. But what about this sonship from Joseph? There's a situation where Yeshua is discussing with some Pharisees. Uh, they say that they're sons of Abraham, and Yeshua says, "No, you're not sons of Abraham." If you were sons of Abraham, you would have done the deeds of Abraham, mm-hmm. right? So you, Yeshua understands the deeds of an individual to reflect where their root is sure. uh, spiritually. Sure. And Hebrew works that, that way as well. We, there's like, uh, you think of what's an Av Tuma, for example, is a father of uncleanness is, is like a source of uncleanness, right? Oh, absolutely. So so you have that Av and a Ben, a father and a son, where the father is the source or the source of a, of a state of being. Mm-hmm. And then the son is the result. Mm-hmm. And it's almost... It's almost cliche in these days. We all know the similarities between Yeshua's life and the life of Yosef. Um, that Yosef was despised by his brothers because um, they thought he was trying to lift himself up to become a deity. And so they, uh, they didn't want him and they put him in a pit. 
and then they sold him off to the nations. And he went off into the nations and became a nobody. But but after becoming a nobody in the nations, he rose up to the highest place, and Pharaoh wanted to uh, um, have him rule over all of Egypt except for the throne of Pharaoh himself. But by the time Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers— says that God had made him like a father to Pharaoh. Yeah. So he's risen even above Pharaoh himself in some sense. And he's, he's become the ruler of, of, of Egypt, became uh, uh, a ruler over the God-man Pharaoh even. Yeah. And so clearly Yeshua's life um, and, and the story, the narrative around Yeshua exemplifies all of those ideas and those qualities um, that are found in the, in the person and the story of Joseph. And so I suppose the Messianic Jewish way of understanding Mashiach ben Yosef is that this uh, son of Joseph is son of the qualities of Joseph. That yeah, he's picked up the mission of the Joseph. The mission of Joseph, we could say that. So that's how we're reading this, and that's how we're understanding that. Right, and we should also clarify that even though uh, in, in our sources that we're reading uh, from Sajid Gaon and the sources he was reading from the those old Jewish apocalypses and, and the Midrash and such, uh, we have two messiahs. Uh, the two messiahs, we understand that to be one messiah, that he's going to, just as he fulfilled the, the one role, he's going to fulfill the other role, and that by virtue of the resurrection of the dead. However... It shows the complication of answering John. Yeah, sure. Are you the one or should we look for another? Well, it's I'm a, the one and keep your eye out. Yeah, yeah. It's I'll just, be back. John, it's just not that simple. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Even if we were to go back into talking about uh, classic Jewish eschatology on the two Messiah theory of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't stay dead. Even in the Talmud, even in the Gemara, you have Mashiach right. ben David uh, raises Mashiach ben Yosef from the dead. So it, it, even that element of it is that Rambam says Mashiach can't die. If he dies, he can't be Mashiach. But guess what? You know, even Mashiach ben Yosef mm. dies and is raised from the dead in 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 the in the lore of of uh, of, of the Talmud. This is an interesting point because um, Ramchal, Ramchal's writing in the 1700s. I, I yeah. believe, in Italy. Um, Ramchal, he, he says that everyone has to die, that the only way to remove the impurity of the sin of Adam Harishon, of Adam and Eve eating from the fruit in the garden, the only way to remove that impurity, which is death, is to die. That's the only way to remove that. And he says even the tzaddikim have to die to remove that impurity from their bodies. It's problematic. Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David have to be the same person from Ramchal's perspective. Because if Mashiach ben David can't die, but everyone has to die to remove the impurity uh, of death from the body, you have a problem. And so, and, but if we know that Mashiach ben Yosef does die, well, then the problem's fixed if Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David are two roles of one individual. One individual, yeah. Certainly from the perspective of Rambam, this idea that the one promised by the Torah, whether or not uh, we have a suffering servant and the, the words of the prophets are fulfilled in those particular, because those verses could be fulfilled through the suffering of Israel. Yeah. Or they might be fulfilled through the suffering of Messiah. And both of those perspectives exist in rabbinic commentary. Sure. 
so whether or not we have a Messiah who suffers for us, we know we do. But whether or not that's the case, we know there's going to be a redemption of the Jewish people. Moses even prophesied of this. While Moses might not have been prophesying about a suffering servant, according to the Torah, we are definitely going to have a Redeemer that's going to bring in and gather the exiles of Israel from the four corners of the earth and bring them back in victory to the land of Israel. That's for sure going to happen. Those other verses, they might be fulfilled in some different way according to the tradition. Right, right. Right? But so uh, the way we understand it, um, it really isn't so easy for Yeshua to give a yes or a no answer, especially when he doesn't know, can I say that, that he doesn't know whether the nation is going to choose repentance or not. Yeah, you can you can definitely say that because he doesn't actually get the message on the outcome of it until until he has the moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he gets the message from you know, Elijah appears and Moses appears and they begin. It says in in Luke's version they begin to speak to him about his exodus, and mm. it's after this that it says he sets his face towards Jerusalem and he's saying to the disciples over and over, the Son of Man is going to suffer and and die. And, uh, and, and so that's where the, the whole gospel narrative shifts. So the contingency had to be real that otherwise the whole gospel message was, was, wasn't real. If, you know, if, if the whole message was repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I know you're not going to, because I know everything, uh, you know, it was, what, what's the point? What are you, what are you playing games with us for? Mm-hmm. You know, so it had to be, it had to be a real call to repentance, a real, a real possibility that the nation could avert the disaster and enter the kingdom and bring the kingdom then. But, but as Paul points out, uh, it, it actually, that was a mercy that the kingdom didn't come in mm. the first century. That was a mercy on the nations because it, it's given the nations the opportunity to repent as the, as the message uh, goes forth, as Maimonides was describing preparing for the preparing for the day of redemption. So what we learned is that the same way that we have to look at New Testament scripture in context, which is to say uh, the New Testament, if we're going to read it contextually, we have to read it as something Jewish. It has mm-hmm. to be within the boundaries of what is Jewish. That means in the boundaries of Jewish law. We have to read it in the boundaries of Jewish law. And the same goes for these rabbinic texts is that we have to learn them contextually. And unless we take the time to learn the context in which someone is writing, uh, somebody might take the writings of Rambam and use those as anti-missionary fuel. Or we can look at Rambam within context, uh, reading Rambam together with Sadi Gaon. We can look at that in context, and, and now we're energized by what we see in Rambam. And not only that, somebody coming from the Christian world uh, a Jewish Christian or or a Christian who just happens to be looking at Jewish texts, they might look at Rambam and say, well, this is clearly uh, rabbinic deception. Yeah, rabbinic anti-missionary deception. I've heard of the Messiah, the suffering servant, the Messiah, the son of Joseph, and Rambam is saying that that's not an option. He's clearly a deceiver. But when we look at his words carefully and we take them seriously, we'll see that never once does he say that the Messiah can't die. He says, the one promised by the, by the Torah can't die. That's the Messiah that can't die. The Messiah as described perhaps in the prophets, that's not something he's even dealing with. Right. That's not something he's dealing with. That's, that is Mashiach ben Yosef, the suffering 
servant Messiah, as described by Isaiah, and uh, and and through all the prophets, as we've seen, uh, as Saja was pointing out to us, and that's also part of the role of Messiah. Are you the one that was promised by the Torah, or should we expect another? Another. Well, Daniel, thank you. Oh, thank you. This was uh, fascinating, and uh, I really appreciate your taking the time to, to, to work this out with me. I, ever since you first brought this up, my, bar, my brain keeps turning it over, so I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>